podcast for World Football Index uh, in December 2017, primarily about Dutch football. And it was about the ins and outs of Dutch football. And it's one of my best podcasts I've ever done, you know, by myself with the people of World Football Index. You can still find it now if you Google my name, James Rowe or James Rowe World Football Index, you'll find it. It's a, it's a real in-depth um, look at Dutch football and not just the big three of IX, Feyenoord and PSV. And um, obviously they was aware that I was interviewing players and managers at that time and uh, obviously making a good impression with the podcast. Um, um, when I told them that I would be interviewing Ricky Van Mollerswinkel, they asked me if they could publish the interview, upon which I agreed. And it's just spiralled from there. You know, as I say, tomorrow, uh, at the time of recording my next interview with um, Tom van Weert from Weiborg in Denmark, who also plays for Excelsior Rotterdam and Groningen, that will be released tomorrow. And um, yeah, the Ricky van Rollerschenkel one is to kind of set the tone for World Football Index. And it was really good because he um, is obviously playing for Basel and I uh, spoke to him in his mother tongue, which was great. And um, it was really, really fun. You know, they were they were playing Manchester City in the Champions League. We spoke about his time at Sporting Lisbon and, um, you know, how happy he was in Lisbon, how pleased he is um, to uh, to be at Basel, who are a tremendous club, and also helping Vitesse to win their, their only piece of silverware in their 120 eight-year history, I believe. So it was a, a very important interview which set the tone and um, kind of the train left the station and, and we're on our way. The train leaves the station. You're, you're well and truly on your way. And you mentioned earlier on um, you're an Arsenal fan and mm. former football index. You've had the, the joy of speaking to a few former Arsenal players. I want to talk to you first of all about Bob Wilson because mm. that was your 100th publication, which mm. how proud were you that not only you got to 100 publications in such a short time, but also that a great Arsenal legend was, was your 100th publication as well? It was very special. It was very, very special indeed because obviously, obviously his time is before my time. I went to my first match. Um, in nineteen, in February nineteen ninety one, and obviously I'm fortunate to still be in the position now of even living in the Netherlands to go back and watch Arsenal maybe three or four times a season, which is a fantastic position to be in. But it was great for him to tell me about how the seventy seventy one team came to be, and you know the embarrassment of losing the League Cup final to Swindon in nineteen sixty nine, and, and Frank McClintock rallying the troops to say, look, we, we we've got to shove it down people's throats now. We've got to come back stronger. And for him to say about you know the Arsenal way of the way that Arsenal travelled, the way they would stay in certain hotels, the way they would conduct themselves, it was very very special indeed. And uh, I really really enjoyed it. It was fantastic of Bob to um, to give me such um, such a lot of his time, and uh, fantastic to um, to speak to such a living legend. And it's always a nice bonus, Callum, when you speak to um, players and managers of uh, of Arsenal. You know, it's, it, you come across some. You know, I've been lucky to speak to the likes of uh, Sebastian Larsson, uh, um, uh, and up, an upcoming publication with Kevin Campbell. And uh, a few others from uh, from down the years as well, and you just have to find a balance. The most important thing for me now is to is to find a balance, and everybody has a story to tell. And as you say, with all different levels, you try to make sure that all publications are completely different to the ones that went before. To give you a, a quick example, if you look at if you look at the last um, 
three publications. You're looking at Steve Castle from Royston Town, uh, Luke Chadwick, formerly of Manchester United, and then uh, Tom Van Viet of Feyenoord uh, in Denmark. So, and and the publication after that will be former Leeds striker and Sheffield United and Benfica striker Brian Dean. So, uh, really looking forward to seeing how they're received and um, onwards and upwards. Onwards and upwards indeed. And what I want to touch base on you is with the Scottish connection. Mm. Um, two of the really interesting articles I've had the joy of of reading from yourself recently and was one with Peter Grant, who obviously played with Celtic, managed Norwich. He's he's obviously the Aloha manager now and, and Nicky Lowe. And what really impressed me with the Nicky Lowe interview is the fact that it was very in-depth and mm. I'm very grateful to you because you also included a link to Football CFB in there as well, which was lovely. Well, uh, if we if I can find uh, the little finesse, uh, as I say, the finesse of making sure that it's all um, it's all correct and it can only help. And it's actually, you know, it's great to to kind of spur each other on and and help one another in terms of advice. And um, as I say, you've you've done ever so well yourself in a in a short space of time to make such a very good impact. So you should be very proud of yourself. And um, yeah, with those two in particular, I enjoyed them. I, I enjoy every interview I do. And there's a lot more Scottish interviews coming up, but um, I won't give too many spoilers away. But um, uh, there's a fair few coming up from all different levels, including the Scottish game. And um, in particular with Peter Grant, one of the ones that I enjoyed was I really enjoyed him telling me about when he took the job and what Alex Ferguson told him. And Alex Ferguson told him that Norwich is a great job to have. It's a it's a great job. It's a really really good job to have. But the location and and Alex Ferguson knowing the work ethic that Peter Grant has, and by his own admission, getting into the gym at quarter to seven quarter to seven in the morning, and getting home very very late, and travelling to scout players, and then returning all the way back to Norwich. I mean, I was at Carrow Road. Uh, last December for the uh, Norwich Arsenal match and um, I took a train from London Liverpool Street to uh, to Norwich because I was at the Arsenal Eintracht Frankfurt game a couple of nights before and even that train journey which only took two hours but went through the likes of Liverpool Street, Dis, Colchester, Ipswich it was just a train journey of two hours but it felt very long so for a manager to be managing a big club in Norwich City with all the commitments that they have, it must have been very difficult at times. And I really appreciated his his honesty and nice of the the greatest the greatest British manager in the history of professional football to to kind of give him such great advice. The the, the insight, as you've said, through the, the the snippets that you get in any interview is incredible. But one thing mm. I want to emphasize on this podcast with you James is you know as well as me that a lot of the I say a lot every single interview that you do and I do whether that's someone that's played and won the Premier League or somebody who has played lower league football their whole career there's a lot of preparation that was in there and from, from your point of view just how important is the preparation to everything that you do because as you've said every interview is treated with the same amount of respect um, the preparation is key it's absolutely vital. Even when, like in my case, you not only are you um, are you making the interview, you're also in my case, I'm also sourcing the interview. So you are approaching um, the official channels in order to speak to a specific player, and you know yourself as well. Not every player 
uh, or ex-player or manager has the has the wish to be interviewed, sometimes you are going to receive a no. But yes. thankfully, thankfully, ninety five percent of the time, you know, it's always a yes. You can, <clears throat> excuse me, you can. Um, obviously, you have advantages in the fact of, in my case, interviewing in different languages. Uh, to give you a, a small anecdote, I I interviewed John Paul uh, Boetius, who plays for Mainz in Germany. And he he rose to fame here in the Netherlands, playing for Feyenoord, and he also played for Basel, and was capped by the Dutch national team. And um, I spoke to him last year, and um, it was quite quite interesting anecdote. I um, the the press officer rang me, and then obviously I'm on the speakerphone, and obviously speaking in English, and then the phone is passed to him, and I greeted uh, him in his own language, and he said, James, he said. Uh, is our interview today going to be conducted in Dutch? I said, of course. I said, every interview I do with a Dutch professional player or manager um, or at any level is in their mother tongue. He said, oh, that's amazing. He said, he said I wasn't sure. I said, yeah, the only reason why you heard me speaking English just now is because my, by my own admission, I can't speak German. So he found that a little bit funny. But um, it, was a really, <laughs> it, was a, it was a really, really interesting interview. And, uh, you know, interesting for him to say about Louis van Gaal. You know, van Gaal was the manager when he was first uh, brought into the Dutch national team squad. And he was saying that, you know, you, you, you kind of arrive in the squad and you're kind of like, it's like the first day at school and getting to know everybody. He said and he's having a one-to-one chat with Louis van Gaal in his office. He's a, and van Gaal was asking him about his personal life and about his, his commitments and responsibilities to get, to get to know the player. And uh, Van Gaal, you know, goes down as one of the greatest Dutch managers of his generation, you know, in terms of um, what he's achieved. And even though he's much maligned in some quarters in England, it's just my personal opinion. He come to England just that little bit too late. If he'd have come to England maybe a couple of years before, he could have well been a success and won the, uh, the Premier League. But some listeners may well know he was due to he was due to replace... Ferguson when Ferguson was due to retire in 2003 and you wonder if Van Gaal would have come to Manchester United then it might have been a different story but he still won the FA Cup and um, I don't it, I don't know if I'll get to speak to Van Gaal one day but uh, who knows that will be a uh, very very interesting I know he, he's, he takes he takes um, he takes very well to people addressing him in his mother tongue and he kind of finds that something to be uh, to be applauded and respected. So I'm hoping that that will be my advantage, and hopefully I'll get to speak to him in future. I hope so. That would be a fascinating insight, as you've said, especially because he was such a great manager and and in his career. And as you've said, it'd be interesting, especially as you've mentioned there, to get that insight about Manchester United in terms of. By his own admission, he's a very proud man, as we all know. Would he admit it was maybe a wee bit too late? Would he reflect on that maybe 2003 could have been his time to make the impact as well? But Mm. another thing I'm interested to talk to you is about recent interviews, Charlie Gilmore, Mm. one that I've really enjoyed, and and Luke Chadwick as well, both different ends of the spectrum. You've got Charlie just starting out in the game, making a career for himself, and then obviously Chadwick, who was at Manchester United, as we all know, and went on to have a good career across various levels in England. Yes, absolutely. Um, to start with the Charlie Gilmore interview, um, Callum, obviously he's on loan here in the Netherlands at Telstar, who are based in a place called Eimelden, which is only 20 minutes from Amsterdam. And obviously me um, 
also living in Amsterdam and it was nice to kind of like compare notes and to uh, talk not just about his football career but also about um, you know life in the Netherlands you know he, he even said himself it's it's a place he'd like to live he'd like to live in future and um, is um, he was very very honest and he said you know about coming through the youth setup at Arsenal everything is handed to you on a plate and and one thing that really stuck with me with the interview was when he left Arsenal he thought or you know not necessarily in a personal sense but just in a general sense he said to he thought that when you're at Arsenal and you leave Arsenal you, you automatically think that there'll be lots of clubs coming in for you and there was there was maybe a handful but what he did say that was of vital importance Callum was he said that there wasn't as many as what he thought there would be because other clubs looking at the the youth uh, the youth end of uh, professional um, clubs at a high level were kind of unsure about a young player playing in a man's game and they yeah. need to, they need to have someone who has that physical capability but need to have someone who has the tactical awareness and he by his own admission he's really enjoying his time in the Netherlands and um, I'm sure he'll go on to have a great career it's great to um it's great to speak to him and he was very very honest and um you know you try to judge things try to judge things properly as I say you have to, from my point of view it's about tailor making the interview it's um it's about mixing the questions up and, and coming from a different viewpoint. And, and you can only you can only do that when you start to do your research. If I can give you um, I, I, if I can give you an example, like like today on the day of recording, I interviewed Will Fox today, who played for, among others, Newcastle, Tottenham, West Brom and Norwich. But he was also capped by Montserrat at international level. And whilst I was doing my research, I thought I thought. It, okay, to kind of stand out even more and to kind of really push this, I'm, I'm going to ask him about playing international football. And by his own admission, he loved talking about it because I don't think he expected it. And this is what I mean about, and you know yourself through interviewing professional players and managers as well, the angle upon which you come in and the preparation that you do can make all the difference between a very good interview and a maybe not so good interview. And as I say, I've been very, very fortunate with uh, World Football Index to be going in the direction of 150. And for me personally, the, 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 big, the big challenge now is the order where you want every interview to be completely different from the last. Also interviewing women, women footballers as well. You know, I'm very lucky, Callum, that half of the Dutch national women's team that reached the World Cup final I've spoken to half of them that played in that final. So I've been very, very lucky. And, you know, they're also interested when you had the likes of, uh, you know, speaking to the likes of Bloodwerder from Beard and Stein. And, um, and for example, Kerrig Dijk and uh, upcoming interview with Tottenham ladies um, player C.D. Rodham. That's due for release, I believe, the middle of next week. And um, yeah, that's really, really fun because especially with the with the um, women players as well, especially the Dutch national team, they're, they're extremely open. And I've had times where, you know, you'd speak to players and you kind of crack a joke and, and make them laugh and make them feel comfortable. But obviously interviewing them in their mother tongue is what makes them feel completely comfortable. And that kind of, I'd, I'd like to think now, Callum, that we, we've reached a point, or at least I've reached a point where, um, followers that um, that know me and, and people that know me and read my interviews, I think we've reached a point now where they know that every interview 
um, that's published with a Dutch professional player or manager, they know, even though it's published in English, they know that the interview is conducted in their mother tongue due to the depth and due to the quality of the piece. Absolutely. And, and as you said, especially when you're interviewing someone who is from Dutch descent, it's, in, it's important, as you've said, that you know what it's like over the years. We've seen various examples when a player is interviewed by a journalist who doesn't interview them in their mother tongue and certain mm. things can maybe be lost in translation. So the mm, fact absolutely. that you, the fact that you're doing that in Dutch and then able to translate it in English to make sure it's crystal clear mm. is a great insight. And as I say, and as you've said, I'm sure that's something that the players appreciate as well because you can publish an interview in Dutch, but you can also give it to, to a wider audience in English mm. as well. Absolutely, and who know who knows what the future will bring? As I say, World Football Index have been have been very good, and they give me an awful lot of freedom. But I also maintain, also maintain always, Callum, that you know I'm I'm not the only writer for World Football Index, but I am the, the most prolific in terms of interviews. But I always go out of my way to make sure that I'm not overshadowing fellow writers. There's, there'll always be a a little bit of a a gap between the, the last interview and the next publication so that other um, writers on the site can publish their pieces and also you're trying to avoid oversaturation and you know you kind of um, you're building up networks within the game which is fantastic speaking to chairmen speaking to press officers and to board of directors and you know looking forward to the future I would love to um, work in a professional club one day on the media side and I remember what the um, the press officer of Peck Swalla here in the Netherlands said to me, I went to uh, Peck Swalla, uh, went to Swalla uh, to interview Ben Philip Sandler, who'd only just signed for Manchester City. And um, I was greeted in reception at the stadium by uh, the press officer. And I had to wait for the training session to finish. And I sat in the press room. And uh, the press officer of Peck Swalla was talking to me. And he said, uh, he said, James, I must say that... Um, uh, it's very unusual that somebody, in your case, this is going back in 2017, he said that it's very unusual someone in your case who's still relatively unknown. Okay, things have changed for the last uh, two to three years. But just to give you an anecdote as to what was said in 2017, he said it's, um, it's very unusual that someone who's, who was relatively unknown, as I was in 2017, manages to get such big names I said I said the reason is I said first and foremost they're interviewed in their mother tongue they're aware that you know obviously you, you know your onions they know the perspective where you're coming from and um, he also said something very interesting to me he said as well that there is no official training that can be done in order to become a press officer of a club you know you just have to build your network and and, and hope that there are opportunities coming up and but I'd like to think, you know, as we go in the direction of 150 interviews in just over two years, that and and also with the accessibility of looking at my work online and and speaking to so many different players and managers at all different levels, that um, hopefully doors will open up in future, and we shall see what the future will bring. I've got no doubts that those doors will open, especially when we talk about some of your upcoming interviews for mm. for World Football Index. You've got. You've got Jamie Carragher coming up amongst many others. Now, I don't want yeah. you to give away all the all the future guests you've got, of course, because that's part of the, the experience for yourself and World mm-hmm. Football Index. But how excited are you for the future, as I say, with Jamie Carragher, a, a Champions League winner coming up? 
Yeah, very excited with Jamie Carragher. And but as I say, the, the, the trick is to treat everybody the same. One interview that I'm very excited about uh, actually took place this week, and that was with uh, Simon Barker, the chief assistant um, exec, assistant chief executive of the PFA in England. Also himself a um, a previous um, a previous professional player uh, for Queens Park Rangers and for Blackburn Rovers, and he is kind of second in command in the oldest professional football association in the world. And I really, really enjoyed his interview. And um, I think that one in particular is going to be so well received because, you know, this is a, a, per, a person who's very important in the association, in the circles that he works in. And it was such a lovely, natural interview that I, that I really enjoyed. So I'm really looking forward to seeing how that one is um, is received when it's published. And then we're looking at the, um, in the coming weeks, um, at the likes of um, David Thompson, who also played for Liverpool, uh, Scott Minto, who played for Chelsea and Benfica, and also Kevin Gallagher, who's, who played for uh, Blackburn and Newcastle, among others. Very good names there, and especially Scott, in terms of being involved also in the broadcasting side as well, will be will be fascinating. Mm. And what I want to ask you about is you've you've conducted over a hundred interviews, as you've said, you're. You're pushing on to, to, to conduct many more in the future and the ambition is clear to see and hear from you today. Mm. What Thank you. you have... Thank you very much. No, you're more than welcome. And what I wanted to say is what what have been, I don't mean your favourite interviews in terms of names because I don't want to go down that route where you might alienate some people you've interviewed. I wouldn't put you in that position. But what have been some of the, your favourite anecdotes you've heard over the spell? Well, um, I'd have to say... Um, I've. I'll turn it around a little bit, Callum, and I'll um, I'll I'll turn it around to, to kind of watershed interviews that have been very important to me. Uh, the first one is the very very first interview with the then manager of Den Bosch, William Flut, who managed Arda Den Haag here in the Netherlands and also Sparta Rotterdam. And uh, in the summer of 2016, he invited me to Den Bosch to interview him, and I went to the stadium, and uh, he met me in the reception, and he said. Um, he said, um, and we were kind of looking out to the pitch and I interviewed him and it went really, really well. And that kind of, I remember walking back to the station, which from then on was a two hour journey back to Amsterdam. And it kind of really gave me a spring in my step. That was a, a really, really, really nice one. Uh, Danny Cowley, manager, then manager of Lincoln City. That was, uh, that was a real watershed one for me as well, because um I um, I put in a request um, through the official channels to uh, to speak to him, and I didn't hear anything. And obviously, you know yourself, you 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 try to prepare as as best as possible, and make sure that you make the best possible pitch if you like. And um, all of a sudden, one summer's day, my phone rang, and I was like, "Hello," and like, "Hello, James Danny Cowley." I was like, "Hello." He said, uh, first and foremost, I'm ever so sorry that um, I haven't been able to get back to you sooner. It's just been very, very busy. I said, oh, that's no problem at all. He said, um, I must be honest with you, James. I don't normally do telephone interviews. He said, but I've read some of your work and it's absolutely brilliant and I'll be delighted to help you. And I said, oh, thank you very much. And I looked back and um, that was a real watershed one for me. And what was really, really nice, Callum, is he became manager of Huddersfield Town and I'd interviewed him a year and a half before and I sent him a message to wish him and his brother uh, and to congratulate him and his brother on their new job 
And then within two days, he sent me a reply back to say thank you very much for the kind words, James. But me and my brother are really excited about the challenge ahead. And I thought it's really, really nice of him to say, you know, and, and to remember who I was. And that's what I mean about working together uh, to make a, a positive interview and to make sure that you uh, you do the best you can. So I so say Danny Cowley was a, was a, a watershed. These interviews, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying as well, were really unfluted and Danny Cowley. They're not necessarily favourite ones, but they're watershed ones. That when I that when I look back and I think to myself, you know, these are the ones that when you're going through the journey, if you like, of the last two years, um, they're the ones that are kind of really going to show the metal and show the uh, quality. And the the third one in terms of um, watershed would be uh, Simon Barker, the assistant chief executive of the PFA. You know, this is the oldest player football association in the world. And we had a tremendous interview. You know, there's a very busy man, especially in these very difficult times. And I interviewed him this week and it was such a tremendous interview. And I look back on I look back on those three interviews, even though one of them is yet to be published. And um, I believe they're going to be watershed, watershed interviews. And um, yeah, hopefully it will stand me in good stead for the future. Absolutely. And I hope it does. And what I, want, I kind of want to put you in the spot here, James, um, by asking you, if you had to have five dream interviews in the future, who would those five, if you could pick five people in the, the world of the football, who would you pick? And obviously long term, who would you love to have um, interviewed soon? Right. OK. Uh, um, soon or just in general? In general, but obviously with the way you're going and, and how prolific you are and the, the, the followers and the, the number of people who read your stuff. I mean, I'm saying soon because there's a good chance it will be soon. Oh, well, um, let's hope so. Um, that's a really interesting question as well. Um, in no particular order, uh, Dennis Bergkamp, that would be number one because he is the he's the greatest player to ever play for Arsenal. And I had the I had the the joy of interviewing his nephew. His nephew used to play for Brighton and Hove Albion, Albion Roland. And um, I spoke to him when he was. Um, a player for Ecosse Valvac here in the Netherlands, and he invited me down to the stadium in Valvac. I had to get a, a train to Hertogenbosch and then a bus to Valvac. And you know he's over six feet tall, and obviously I'm not I'm not small, but by the same token I'm not very tall. And uh, I'll have to um, I'll have to tweet you the photo later on, and then let you let you see the photo. It's from 2017. And um, obviously we spoke about his career because that's the most important thing. But obviously one of my questions at the time was about his uncle. I said, you know, your uncle, Dennis, is is one of the best footballers of his generation. And um, and obviously, you know, the best player to ever play for my club, in my, in my opinion. I said, did he ever give you any certain advice uh, when you became a professional footballer yourself? And he said, no. He said, to be honest, James, I didn't really see him. He said, um, but obviously, you know, he being a professional footballer for Arsenal, he said, but I became an Arsenal fan. He said, I would watch him on the TV and you wouldn't see him for 80 minutes. And then all of a, all of a sudden he'd give an assist or a pass or, um, or or score a goal or be important to the team. So um, in, in no particular order, but it's a great question. Once again, I would say Dennis Bergkamp. Um, the second one, uh, we've touched on him, but Louis van Gaal, um, I think... The um, one of the best coaches of his generation, one of the best um, coaches of his generation to achieve what he did at a very, very young Ajax team 
you got to also remember, listeners might not know, Van Gaal is also an Ajax, Ajax fan. It's not just simply the case that, you know, he, he rocked up at Ajax being a good manager. You know, if you look back in, in Van Gaal's career, he played for Antwerp, he played for Sparta Rotterdam, you know, he played, um, I believe he played alongside Dick Advocat as well, I think. And um, he, um, you know, he's, he's very much, very intelligent man. And I think with his career, you know, with the Dutch national team twice, Bayern Munich, Barcelona, Ajax, I think I would love to be able to speak to him about some of the trials and tribulations that he's been through. Number three, I would have to say, would be Robin van Persie. Because um, not just the reasons as to why he left um, Arsenal in the acrimonious circumstances, but I fully believe that... um, I fully believe that the conflicting reports that are coming out about what happened um, are very mixed, Callum. And um, you may well know, here in the Netherlands, they speak, they learn English from the age of five. It's the second yeah. language of the Netherlands. But I say I say Robin Van Persie, Callum, because I fully believe that if I, that if I get to speak to Robin Van Persie in his mother tongue, making sure that everything is done properly, I fully believe that what he wants to say that I can get out there. I'm not saying that he can't express himself. I'm not saying that he can't express himself in English because he quite clearly can. But I think if I was to be able to speak to him in his mother tongue, um, I think it could be a really, really interesting interview. There have been Dutch interviews since he's retired and they've been very, very interesting, but they haven't really dug very deep. And um, I would like to think that if I was to speak to him, that it would be... It would be um, it would be a very interesting interview. I, uh, listeners might not know as well. Before I started to do my own interviews, I used to uh, translate the Robin Van Persie Dutch media interviews for an Arsenal website called Gunner Talk. They used to have uh, like um, they used to have like little um, blogs and everything. And I used to interview. I used to translate the Robin Van Persie media interviews and um, and send them through to Gunner Talk. One of them is actually on YouTube. One of them is on YouTube after the um, the post match post match interview after the defeat to AC Milan in 2012, and I believe that has in excess of I think uh, 200. Uh, uh, I think that has in excess of uh, I think 20,000 views or something. But it's a long time ago. But for listeners who wanted to have a look and, and see what I mean by that, they're welcome to have a look if you type in like Robin van Persie AC Milan interview. I think it might come up. But um, yeah, in terms of the, of the the fourth and the fifth, the reason why I asked is um, long term is because obviously you know yourself through having such an impact, speaking to the likes of Joe Barton, which you've done, which is uh, commendable. Um, I think, as I say, these five, Callum, they're not in no particular order. But if I, I think I would have to say, um, I'd have to say Alex Ferguson. I think because you know this is the the greatest football British football manager there has been. And even in these difficult times with Corona, I found myself watching his old interviews. And obviously with you being Scottish and um, and obviously with the Scottish um, Scottish parts and, and, and the awareness. I don't know if you have you ever seen him talk about Jock Steen? Yeah, yeah. I, I I've seen two interviews recently where he talks about Jock Steen. And one of them in particular is a, is one that he did for Manchester United when he's saying um, there's like a, a video on YouTube where, you know, he's, um, Jock Steen wanted to sign Alex Ferguson when he was a player. And, um, 
you know, Jockstein um, left for, to coach Hibernian and they went to, um, there was, they was in a betting shop and uh, Ferguson went in with the other players. He said, oh, that's, uh, that's, um, that's Jockstein. And he was a little bit startled. And then all of a sudden, Jockstein comes up to talk to him. And he was like, oh, my God, he knows my name. And um, he said, to, apparently, Jockstein said to um, Alex Ferguson, I said, uh, he said, hi, Alec, how are you doing? You OK? How are you enjoying Dunfermline? He said, oh, I'm loving it. I'm really enjoying it. Thanks very much. He said, I oh, doing well. And he said, the little things like that. And I think to be able to speak to, um, to the greatest British football manager there's been would just be amazing because, I, I mean, I commend Alex Ferguson for the career that he's had. But I also, I mean, you, you obviously with the Scottish links may know more information than me. But one of the things that I've always remained curious about with Alex Ferguson, Callum, is this is a man who's so good. I mean, if I believe he turned down Barcelona. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I believe he turned, and I would love, I would love to ask him. I mean, obviously, um, family commitments, players and managers have families, but I would love to ask Alex Ferguson why he turned down some of the biggest clubs in the world. I, I think the answer would be because he was at Manchester United, but also by the same token, if you're that. I mean, he, he is the greatest British football manager there's been. There's there's no there's no denying that whatsoever. But I, but part of me also thinks that you know with with someone who's got so much skill and so much tremendous man management. I mean, speaking to the likes of uh, Luke Chadwick, you know, who said about the aura that Ferguson has. You know, that you don't want to let him down. And that was the thing that really stuck with me with the Luke Chadwick interview. He was saying you you played for Manchester United and you played for Alex Ferguson, and you uh, you didn't want to let him down. So yeah, I would love to speak to Ferguson one day. And the fifth one um, would be um, would be Arsene Wenger. I think oh, because um, I think that would be the. I mean, they're they're five very very um, very very ambitious ones, uh, which I don't necessarily know uh, if they're going to happen in the short term. But I'm quietly confident in terms of the three Dutch uh, um, that I've picked. I'm quietly confident that if you get yourself in a position to do it, I think they would be open to because primarily it's in their mother tongue. And also with the work, I mean, obviously I've interviewed players that um, that played under Van Gaal and uh, players that, you know, uh, have um, played in the Premier League against Bergkamp and against Van Persie. And my final pick would be Arsene Wenger because, you know, 22 years at Arsenal and it ended in a quite sour way. And, um, you know, I was one of the Arsenal fans that wanted him to leave the club initially with his head held high. And I do believe that things got a little bit out of hand at certain cases. But I would... Um, I'd love to speak to Arsene Wenger about his career, not not just Arsenal, but also Monaco as well. I mean, listeners might not know Callum. Arsene Wenger was also relegated with Nancy. So for, for people to say that Arsene Wenger only knew success, he also suffered relegation, and he was also at Monaco for eight for eight years for seven years, sorry. And um, yeah, so I'd love to be asking him about his career, and um, again for Wenger to turn down the French national team job and the Real Madrid job and the Barcelona job. It must be very difficult. I mean, you know yourself through interviewing players and managers. If I manage to get myself in a position, Alex, where I, I'm able to work for a professional club, I mean, I, I'd, li I'd like to think to myself, obviously you're committed to working to a for a professional club, but once you're in that world, opportunities can open up quite quickly. 
and I, I I would think ahead and think you know the first club that comes in for me as a as a football writer working in the media behind the scenes at, the, at club level interviewing players and managers and making sure that everything's running smoothly. I mean, I would I would be fully devoted to them, but by the same token, if you imagine being in that world, and a bigger club comes in for you, you're always going to you. Everybody wants to improve. Everybody wants to get better. I mean, I, I know we're in a world where you know there's uh, lots of money floating around and lots of temptation, but I think the fact remains that every player and manager wants to get better, and also for for football writers and people that do interviews, they also want to get better as well. You know, as you as you said at the start of uh, recording tonight, you know, you would have been happy with just uh, Scottish players and managers at the uh, at the lower leagues, and and all of a sudden you're interviewing um, Joe Barton, for example. So it just goes to show how quickly things can go. And it allows you to dream a little bit, but you've also got to remain professional. I mean, I have a, um, I have a saying, um, Callum, where I say that the next interview is always the most important. I mean, my next interview is with uh, Katie um, Rhodes, who plays for Luz, the women's team, and also has been capped by um, New Zealand and Juventus, and also plays for Juventus. So that's my next interview. And as far, as far as I'm I'm concerned at the moment, that's the most important one. But yeah, it's a, a really really interesting question for the um, for the top five, and uh, it made me think a little bit. And listeners may who may know me, who may not know me, I'd like to think I've picked the best five that I can, and I'm hoping that they will come to realization in the future. Fingers crossed, as I say, especially with the three Dutch players and, and managers you mentioned there. That's something that with your insight, having, as you've said, speaking their mother tongue, that I think would be fascinating. I, I hope so. I will keep you posted. Um, as you say, uh, you can have surprises from one day to the next. And um, as you say, I'm, um, I pride myself on being professional at all times. And like this week, this week alone, I spoke to Leslie Desar, who played for, came through the youth set up at Ajax and debuted for the first team and won the Eredivisie. He's now playing in... Um, in Sweden, and uh, we spoke about his time playing for Sweden for Eskilstuna um, United, and also his time at Go Ahead Eagles, and he really enjoyed that as well. You know, I think you, you kind of detect in the voices. I mean, obviously face to face when it's when it's safe to do so, and face to face when it's possible, but also with the Dutch players and managers now, the reputation's growing, Callum, where they kind of that you, you can detect in their voice that they're delighted that it's going to be conducted in their mother tongue first and foremost. And they know it's going to be a good positive interview. And as I say, I'd like to think we've reached a point now, at, um, Callum, where um, when um, when followers and fans read my interviews with with Dutch players and managers, they know that it's conducted in Dutch, although it's published in English, which is which is nice. Definitely, I think as you've said, it, it's something that I hope people will listen to this thing, go and read them, and then that will shine through even more. And something I'm. I want to move on to is your love of Arsenal, your passion mm. for football. I want to put you on the spot with this question first, James, because it's a question that has fascinated me with any Arsenal fan I speak mm. to or anyone that's played for Arsenal. What did you prefer or what do you prefer, Highbury or the Emirates? Highbury. Highbury because it was just such a special place. It was just such a special place and... I was very lucky that I went there as a very, very young child. I went there as a teenager and I went there as a man. And it kind of, um, every game was special. Every game was special. I went to my first game in February 1991. 
I went to my last game in March 2004 against Celta Vigo because um, obviously I was um, preparing to come and live in the Netherlands. So I didn't go to Arsenal and, and that really hurt. But you had to look at the bigger picture as a 20 year old man and knowing that you're going to live abroad and that when you have your friends calling you up to say, are you coming to Arsenal into Milan? Are you coming to Arsenal Manchester United? And I would say no. And I still remember the phone calls with my friends, um, Callum. They would say, uh, they said, come on, you've got to be having a laugh. And I said, no, I said, I'm not, I'm not going. I said, I'm, I'm saving hard. I'm, I'm moving to the Netherlands. In, uh, I, used to, I used to say back then, I'm moving to the Netherlands at the end of the season. <laughs> and it used to be, it used, it used to be like a running joke with friends. And thankfully, my very best friends understood it. And obviously, we're still in contact now. And they've been to visit me here, and and we've been to Ajax, and they've they've been able to enjoy Amsterdam, which has been great. But yeah, Highbury was was very very special. I remember going there with family members, and um, I just believe that the Emirates has also changed the club. I mean, I'll give you a little anecdote, Cal- uh, Callum. I have been to nearly 50 Arsenal matches in nearly the last 10 seasons from Amsterdam, averaging about five a season. The majority at home, let's say about 80% of home matches in London. And I remember one particular match where I, um, it was Arsenal Montpellier, Montpellier in the Champions League in November 2012. And we won the game 2-0, I believe, with a tremendous goal from Podolski. And I'm cajoling and encouraging. And all of a sudden, I get a tap on the shoulder. And I turn around and this this group of young guys said to me, excuse me, uh, where were you from? I said, from around here. I said, I was born in London. I said, but I, uh, I, I emigrated to Amsterdam. I said, I've come all the way from Amsterdam for tonight's game. And they said, no. I said, it's true. Because when you tell people that, they don't believe you. It's funny because when you're queuing up at Arsenal Tube Station, and you're having a chat with the fans and they're like, oh, where do you come? Oh, well, we live in um, in Camden Town or, you know, we live in uh, in South London. What about yourself? And I say Amsterdam. They kind of look at me and, and smile. But, um, you know, obviously you're just making a conversation. And I remember I said to the two guys, what about yourselves? And they said, um, oh, we, we've, we're from Singapore. We've come over for the match. And if you think of the, the Emirates now, there's a lot of people in the Emirates, Callum, who have come from all over the world. And football is a global game. Everyone has the right to enjoy football and everyone has the right to feel involved, which is the most important thing. But with Highbury, for example, it was just uh, the special people that you would meet and the people of different generations. And it was just such a special time. I mean, I remember... I remember taking my mother to the match against Dortmund in September 2002. I remember going with my sister to uh, Arsenal Southampton, I think in 2001. I remember when Henri smacked the crossbar from about 20 yards and we were sitting right down at pitch level and it kind of shook her up a little bit. She was like, oh, and uh, we won uh, one all draw, actually. Joe Tessum scored for Southampton. That's how long ago it was. And uh, yeah, it was a really, really good fun time and, and going with going with your friends as well, because I, I really used to enjoy the European nights because I remember I remember my very last um, my very last match at Highbury Callum was um, Celta Vigo at home in March 2004. And um, it was the the um, the night before the Madrid bombings. And I was in I was in a bar chatting with friends and there was a group of um of Celta Vigo fans and we were having a laugh and a joke with them. And I remember speaking to one particular guy of the group, his name was Juan, 
And I said, I said, where do you live? He said, oh, I live in Madrid. I said, uh, when do you go home? He said, oh, I'll go home tomorrow. And so, and so obviously the following day with the Madrid bombings in, in mid-morning and early morning, I, I kind of woke up and thought, you know, I hope he's not involved, but obviously I'll never know. And then also with the... Um, with the away days as well, going to Amsterdam as a very young, uh, as very young, uh, as a very young man, and and going to Milan and the San Siro in two thousand and eight for the win against AC Milan was very special, and doing the conga on the uh, Duomo Square in uh, in Italy in Milan's uh, famous square was very funny, because it was a really f- fun atmosphere, you know. Obviously, we hadn't played AC Milan, I think. For, I think 13 years. The last time we played them was the uh, the Super Cup in 1995, I think it was, and uh, it was just really special. You know, they were the reigning European champion. They were the reigning European champions and looked to be unbeatable. And there's a group of Arsenal fans doing the conga on one of the most famous squares in Italy, in Milan. So very, very special times. Three big personalities I want to ask you about in terms of Arsenal. Arsenal through the years, we've talked about the players they've had, Henri, um, Bergkamp, Fabregas, there's Pires. I could go on for Vieira, so many players I could go on with, but the three players I want to ask you about are Ray Parler, Paul Merson and Ian Wright. And the reason I want to ask you about those three is because, for me, they sum up football for a young, a, a young guy like myself growing up where they were homegrown players, big personalities, but crucially, could play as well. Oh, brilliant! Um, I will. Um, I will do it in reverse order if I don't. If if you don't mind, uh, of course. I'll start with. Um, I'll start with Ray Parler. Ray Parler was just uh, as a kid. As a kid, Callum, I used to. Um, I used to be a member of the fan club, and you get all the special um, information through. And I remember getting the fact file of Ray Parler when I was a kid. You know, favorite food, and you know, favorite holiday place, and all that. And he worked so hard uh, in that Arsenal midfield alongside the likes of Vieira, even before Vieira arrived, you know, in 93, 94, 95, you know, scored some tremendous goals, you know, his goals against, um, against, for example, um, Valencia in the Champions League quarterfinal goal in the, um, against um, Hattrick against Mönchengladbach as well. You know the um, the FA Cup final as well. Just a tremendous, tremendous player with so much heart, and uh, I'm very lucky to see him play live. I'm going to surprise a few listeners now uh, and put Ian Wright as the the second one to elaborate on. But and I will tell you the reasons why uh, when I get to Paul Merson. Ian Wright was first and foremost tremendous value for money, and you know to go on to be the record uh, goal scorer of the club. And to break uh, Cliff Bastin's record was was very special. I mean, uh, listeners of Arsenal, uh, listeners that are Arsenal fans might not know that um, that uh, the David Dean tells the story of when he signed Ian Wright. You know, he rang the Palace chairman Rod Nodes, and he said, "We're interested in one of your strikers." And he said, "No, there's no price. Uh, forget about it." He said, "Well, um, he said uh, we're interested in Ian Wright." He said, "There's no price on Ian Wright. Nothing at all." And David Dean said, uh, Ron, because obviously they were on FA committees with each other. Uh, David Dean said to Ron Nodes, he said, um, he said, um, Ian Wright, he said, no price at all. He said, uh, give me a figure. He said, two and a half million. And then David Dean said, Ron Nodes, I'm offering you two and a half million pounds for Ian Wright. He said, done. And to his credit, he did the deal. And 
you know, Ian Wright, the, we, um, we, we were speaking on Twitter the other night about the famous documentary with David Rowcastle and Ian Wright, you know, kind of not being discovered for a long time and having so much heart and so much fight to want to put on the shirt and really work hard for everybody. And even now he speaks very, very highly of Arsenal, you know, and recently interviewing Kevin Campbell and he's saying, you know, that he's, Ian Wright was just goal, goal hungry, just um, so, so hungry. And he will quite rightly take his place in, in one of the greatest, um, as one of the greatest strikers ever to play for Arsenal. The three players that you mentioned, I, I want to make it clear to listeners that uh, I haven't count, counted them down in a special order of who's better than each other. I just wanted to save um, Paul Merson to last because Paul Merson was my hero when I was a kid. And when I was a very young Arsenal fan, that man was my hero, Callum. And I used to pretend to be him in the playgrounds and I, in the park. I used to shoot from distance and I used to think I was Paul Merson. And I, I remember, you know, getting number 10 when the, when the numbers first come out and you didn't have names. And I remember standing in a printing shop with my mum and saying, can I have number 10? Can I have number 10? I want to be Paul Merson. And Paul Merson, and I've said it to many different Arsenal fans of all ages, as far as I'm concerned, Callum, Paul Merson is one of the greatest players to ever play for Arsenal. You know, to finish one goal shy of 100 goals, and you think of all the important goals that man scored. I'm thinking of the, um, the 1993 um, League Cup final where he got mad in a match. You know, that was the first trophy I ever saw Arsenal win. I wasn't there. I watched it on TV. But um, I remember saying um, saying to my mother, you know, it's not just the first uh, trophy. Um, it's not just the first trophy for a while. It's like the, the first trophy that I've ever seen Arsenal win. And my favourite player scores. And I remember he scored a tremendous goal against uh, against Leeds United in the FA Cup. You know, kind of Parler gave him the assist and he just drilled it in from about 30 yards. And um, he's just a, a tremendous, tremendous player. I remember I used to go to Arsenal when I was a young kid. And um, obviously, you know, you, you get to meet some players and, uh, and and different things. I remember I met him when I was seven years old. And um, obviously hygiene is vitally important. But I remember coming home from the match and saying to my mum, I've, uh, I've met Paul Merson and I spent the next two days only washing my left hand when I went to the <laughs> toilet because Paul, Merson, because Paul Merson had touched it. Because he was, uh, uh, obviously I learned very quickly, but obviously when you're a young boy. But even now, I mean, I, I still listen to him when he's talking about football. And um, I um, I just think he's brilliant. And even uh, even though he gets a lot of bad press from from different people, I can't criticise him and I won't criticise him because he, he's played the game at the highest level. I mean, yes, he had his um, yes, he had his um, his misdemeanors and his problems. I don't know if you, your listeners might might remember the uh, the drinking celebration he used to do. Yeah, I used to do that as a kid. <laughs> and my my mother used to say to me, "What are you doing?" I said, "Paul Merson. Paul Merson does it." And obviously, when you're a kid, you don't know. So I used to score goals, and I used to start to do that, <laughs> and it was quite funny. Obviously, you realise later on in life that uh, you shouldn't do it. But um, yeah, it's just a, one of my all-time favourite Arsenal players, and he is he is still. I mean, I mean, obviously. Um, Arsenal fans that follow me on Twitter and I've spoken on Arsenal Fan TV a couple of times. Not every time, but every every now and again I speak to Robbie on Arsenal Fan TV. And um, I always say that, you know, it, it, it's always a game of opinions. But for me, 
you know, uh, Paul Merson will always be in my top three Arsenal players because as a kid, being so impressionable, impressionable, he meant an awful lot to me. And he was like the one that when I would watch Arsenal, I would pretend to be him. And he was just such a special player. And as I said, you know, he's, um, as far as I'm concerned, one of the greatest players to ever play for Arsenal. Can I tell you a quick story about Paul Merson? Of course. I was at an event. He was up in Scotland in Dundee, and um, I'm I'm the same as you. I love Paul Merson in terms of the player, the pundit. I just I've read his book. I just for me he was the the nineties era. My favourite players from that era: Ian Wright, Paul Merson, Matt Letizia, um Roy Keane, Paul Scholes. I just David Beckham, Sheringham was another one. Um, Liverpool obviously John Barnes towards the end. I love Steve McManaman, so I loved lots of these players. So I'd always admired Merson. And he came to an event in Scotland in Dundee, and I said to my my girlfriend, who's now my fiance, I said, "I want to go to this event. Would you come with me?" And she said, "Yeah, that's fine, no problem." So we could only get one ticket, so I bought a ticket, a kind of VIP ticket, where I got to meet Paul and and, and Mary Ann said, "Right, I'll come through with you." She said, "I'll just stay in the room." Um, you go down to the event, be on for a few hours. I'll just watch a film or whatever, and then come up after it, and then we'll stay up in Dundee for a couple of days, um, and we'll go out to dinner and stuff the next morning. Not a problem. So I said, thank you very much. So got the ticket and I went, and uh, went in before it to meet Paul, and I said, oh, how are you doing? Very polite, and pleasant. Signed a, a, his autograph and things, and and he said to me, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Inverclyde. I said, I've travelled about two and a half hours to, to be here tonight. He says, you've come through on your own to see me. And, I, and his voice, terrible impression, I know. And I said, yeah. I says, I came through with my girlfriend, but she couldn't get a ticket. Um, so she's here as well, but I'm here. My, I'm down to see the event moan. And he said, you are joking. He said, he says, you can't. He says, I'm not having that. He says, is she up in the room now? I said, yeah. He says, will you go up and tell her that she can come to the event tonight? I'll make sure um, she gets in doesn't need to pay a penny I'll make sure she gets in not a problem for the dinner and the event and you mm. can both sit at my table as well as a thank you for you travelling through and making that sacrifice to see somebody like me and, and that loving me forever it's brilliant isn't it it just, go, it just goes to show the measure of the man absolutely it, it, it just it just goes to show the measure of the man even even before you said that story and as I say uh, I mean this was a man that was my hero when I was a kid and I won't have a bad word said about him you have, you have some Arsenal fans who who criticise him and then I, I've had some people tell me in the past Callum oh you've got to separate Merson from the you've got to separate Merson the, the, uh, the pundit from the player I said no I said I used to watch him play when I was a kid and he's kind of he, he kind of started me off on my love of Arsenal so I'm not going to turn around and say when he's maybe criticising Arsenal where 90% of the time he's telling the truth as well I'm not going to criticise him and say, oh, I don't like what he's saying. I will always respect what he's saying. But what a wonderful story and uh, really, really interesting. Thanks for that. Great to hear. I'm, I'm glad, as I say, when you said he was your hero, I thought I need to tell that story because mm. you've been lucky enough to meet him in the past as well. And I thought, what I always think is, you know the saying yourself with interviews and stuff where people will say to you, never meet your heroes or never interview your heroes. And I can honestly say that Paul Merson is one of those guys who... <laughs> that statement and for want of a better phrase in the bin because mm. when you, you meet him he's a hero of yours and in a, in a strange way when you meet him you come away after meeting him thinking do you know you're even more of a hero of mine now mm. because not only were you a great player but as you say a mark of a true gentleman and a great individual absolutely and um, for listeners that might not know there's a there's a video on youtube of his 
you know, there was like 501 Arsenal goals, and it's a, it's a montage of all these great goals, and they are absolutely tremendous. If some of them were scored with the likes of from from Messi and Ronaldo today, there'd be worldwide news. But uh, just a tremendous player. I remember watching him play for Aston Villa against Arsenal at um, at Highbury. I believe in February, I believe in December 2001. I think I think we were Arsenal won three two. And it was really weird to see him play against Arsenal. I mean, I think he scored in that game as well. But, you know, it was really weird. But obviously, you know, it, they scored and I'm watching him. And it's like Paul Merson just scored for them. And obviously, I'm an Arsenal fan first and foremost, but just a tremendous, tremendous player. And, you know, he's, when you hear him talk about football and, and his honesty, is just absolutely tremendous. Absolutely. And I think that's the thing as well, as you've said, what I know, again, I can understand people that are young, maybe in their teenage years now, who maybe don't remember these guys as players, and they see maybe Letissi or Merson on Soccer Saturday and Charlie Nicholas, even Thompson, they might think, oh, what do they know? They're just old guys that like to moan, but you just, I don't want to sound condescending, but you always, you know what it's like yourself, you think to yourself, I understand why you're saying that, but at the same time, these guys could play, so if they're mm-hmm. given a strong opinion, it has to be respected, because it's not just two guys in a pub having a chat after a after a couple of beers. These guys have been there and done it, so they know what they're talking about, even if at times you don't agree with them. Absolutely. And uh, I always say as well, uh, Callum, obviously in the position that we are in with interviewing players and managers, not everybody can do it. Everybody, everybody would love to do it, but they also have to remember the journey that... that that these people have been on like I've often been explained to people on Twitter you know I remember explaining to one particular fellow I said to him I said um I said can I I said do you think that every interview is conducted in English and he said yes I said it's not I said interviews are conducted in Dutch Spanish and English and they're published in English I said so it's simply not just a case of kind of me rocking up there as I say, sourcing the interviews, making sure that you get them over the line and then tailor-making them. And I think as well with a lot of fans in fan culture, I think I think we've, we've reached a point now, Callum, in terms of fans where everybody wants to be popular, everybody wants to be in the know, everybody wants to be loved and everybody wants to be heard. But at the end of the day, the most important thing is you have to, um, you have to own your words. And you have to um, you have to take responsibility for what you say. Uh, to give you an example, I, as I've mentioned, I sometimes speak to Arsenal fan TV. If I was to go off cuff on Arsenal fan TV and have like an in inverted commas meltdown, I would probably never get an interview ever again. But yet I've been on a journey of four years and in excess of 150 interviews nearly going in the direction of 200 where you you know that that is the priority. My interviews are the priority and, the, and then comes the rest. But I think with social media, w- with fans, I think it's just, ch- I think it's changed the psyche of the fans a little bit where they're kind of getting a bit more restless and they're kind of, oh, my opinion is more important than yours when it's not the case. I mean, I love, I love listening to all football fans of all different ages and the most important thing is to respect different people's opinions. Well, I said, I said, as we've said before, it's a game of opinions and it's a game that opinions should be cherished in. And, and something that I'm really happy with you agreeing to come on and, and do an interview with me, James, is, is the fact that you've you've talked about the preparation element because mm. I, I, I know myself doing the interviews, you doing the interviews, that, as you've said, there's lots of people out there who just assume that, 
or he's he or she's just lucky to be doing that and like I bet you they they just stumble upon these interviews and mm. I think a lot of the time as you've said rightly they don't realise you've I'm the same boat as you you've got to source the interview yourself mm. in most cases mm. you've got to do your research and your prep because mm. as you've said if you're complacent and you just rock up nobody mm. is going to nobody's going to want to hear it or, or read it because they'll, they'll realise that it's stuff they've, they've heard all before whereas mm. putting that preparation in giving every single guest the respect, whether that's a Champions League winner, a World Cup winner, or someone mm. playing in the Conference North or South, mm. it's it's just the preparation is king and, and that's what you do well. And the last thing I want to say, James, is thank you very much for coming on and, and I want you to just, if you could, give the listeners um, how can they contact you on Twitter, how can they access you on Twitter and how can they access your articles? Okay, then that's great. First and foremost, thank you for a lovely compliment. Uh, really, really pleased. It's lovely, to, lovely to hear. Um, listeners can follow me me on at James Rowe NL, and uh, you, you, if you find me on Twitter, you'll see the link in my Twitter bio to my um, to all my interviews, to all my previous work for World Football Index. You can also go to worldfootballindex.com and you can find me. I publish quite regularly and you'll find one of my interviews. Also, don't be afraid to get in touch with any questions that you might have specifically about Dutch football. I'm always open to um, speaking to different uh, different people all, all from all different walks of life, even if it's a, a, a player from a bygone era or um, even a club which has kind of uh, fallen by the wayside a little bit. So that's at, at James Rowe NL. Brilliant, thank you. And as I say, I wish you all the best for the future. I'm, I'm delighted that through myself setting up CFB and following you that we've been able to have a few conversations about Paul Merson, about some of the interviews you've been doing. And as I say, I just wish you all the best for the future and, and I look forward to, to watching your journey continue and, and I'm sure we'll speak again very soon. Uh, absolutely. Uh, thanks once again. As I say, I'm sure our paths will cross. As I say, you've done ever so well to make such um, such a tremendous in, impact, so very well done. And it's nice to find uh, common ground in terms of the um, the uh, challenges that we face when interviewing professional players and managers. I'm sure we'll um, we'll definitely speak again in future, Callum. And who knows, we may well work together in the future one day. Uh-